Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to uh, read from your scripture, to be challenged and encouraged by uh, the Word of God and what you've recorded about, um, yeah, the way the way that you interact with us as people, the way you uh, step down and, and break into our lives and, and uh, lead and guide and encourage and strengthen us by, by your power. Lord, we, we thank you for um, even difficult passages to, to walk through and to parse out, God, and we pray that you that you would be applying this message to our hearts and challenging us and encouraging us to, uh, to walk in uh, the holiness you've called us to be uh, walking in. Uh, Lord, we thank you um, for this time, and we give you all the honor and glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> all right, so we're continuing in uh, Judges, and uh, last week we got to the very beginning of the story of Samson and, and heard the story of Samson's birth, right? So, uh, we got to hear how the Lord came down and spoke to Manoah and his wife, and how Manoah and his wife heard from the Lord, uh, ran to hear from the Lord, and wanted to make very clear and very sure of what the Lord was saying about how they were to raise Samson. And, uh, and you, we saw Manoah praying and God answering his prayers. We saw them listening and, and having faith in what, uh, what the Lord was saying through the angel of the Lord appearing to them. Um, and at the end of that, we saw the conclusion of this promise being made that, that, um, um, that Manoah's wife actually did have a child and named him Samson. And at the end of chapter 13, we saw that uh, the Lord blessed Samson, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, and he grew in the Lord. Okay, So the, the beginning of Samson's life is marked by uh, being set apart and coming under this Nazarite vow that has been given to him, uh, actually to his parents, who kind of took it on, on his behalf, right? So um, he was born into a Nazarite vow, and there's only a couple people that we have record of that were kind of like in that vein from birth, set aside to the mothers, said, hey, your, your child's going to be set aside, and that's Samuel, okay? Hannah prayed to the Lord and said, I'll give you my son. If you give me a son, I'll give him to you to unto your service. And Samuel was dedicated to the Lord and spent his life serving the Lord as a priest. And we had another one of John the Baptist, right? The Lord comes to Zechariah and tells him, your, your wife who is barren is going to have a child. She may be old, but she's going to have a child. And, and this one uh, will be the forerunner of the Christ. And so uh, he's set aside from birth to, to serve the Lord. Um, it's truly actually not the only examples because uh, what we know from the Old Testament is that every firstborn, is actually to be sent over to the Lord, commended to the Lord. And keeping them, you would actually make a sacrifice to honor the Lord that he'd borne fruit in your life. So every firstborn is, is really the Lord's. And actually, we're all the Lord's, right? Like, we're entirely the Lord's despite these things. And so, but for Samson, he was set apart in, a, in another way, in another way of holiness to say, I'm not participating in a lot of the things that the world is participating in. Right? I'm not going to cut my hair, uh, I'm not going to drink wine, and I'm not going to touch any unclean thing. Okay? So these are the, the components of the Nazarite vow as you look at them in uh, Numbers chapter 6. <clears throat> and so as we walk through the Judges, you've heard me say over and over again that there's really kind of two lenses that you can look at these characters through. And I know you're probably tired of me talking about the two lenses that you can see these characters through. But I have to say it from the outset because... There's a presupposition about who Samson is that is according to a, a certain view. And I'm going to argue that he's actually 
operating in a different manner than you might have uh, grown up understanding in the story of Samson. And so there's two ways you can see Samson and interpret him. First is, as, uh, and this is probably what you're used to, I'm going to say this is probably what you're used to hearing about Samson. He's a violent brute who God uses to fight the Philistines in spite of his complete disregard for the Nazarite vow his parents took on his behalf. Would that be an accurate summation of how you've understood Samson? Yeah? Yeah? Yeah. I mean, right? This is how we see Samson. We celebrate his power in the end when he pulls down these, uh, these pillars and they collapse on the Philistines. We'll get there later in chapter 16. That's the like, like low point of his life, actually. Anyway, um, we'll talk about that. Um, so you either see him as this violent brute who God uses in spite of himself, or, which is what I'm going to argue uh, throughout this, he's a faithful servant of the Lord who is protected by the Spirit of the Lord and he's used to fight against the Philistines. Is he perfect? No. I'll gladly point out some things that he misjudges and does incorrectly and, and even um, does wrong. Uh, but, but is he this, to be characterized as a violent brute who uh, God is just using him in spite of his brokenness? I think we actually misjudge this. Um, so, as we read through Samson's story, I just want to call out a couple things. First is, got to, we got to assess his commitment to the Nazarite vow, okay? He's been given a Nazarite vow. He inherited it, actually, right? His parents took it on for him, and he is stepping into it. And so as we go through and assess, is he, you know, a brute or is he faithful, is really what we're assessing. Um, the first thing we got to look for throughout this time is, has he completed his Nazarite vow, or is he disregarding his vow entirely and just walking you know, completely away from it, and God uses him in spite of that. <clears throat> so look for, is he drinking wine, right? Is he cutting his hair? Is he touching or eating anything that is unclean? These are components we got to watch out for, okay? Um, <clears throat> some other things that I want us to consider as we look at Samson throughout the next, uh, it'll be another few weeks, uh, is the complexity of his relationships and what's going on in Samson's life, right? Um, we have to consider the complexity of Samson's relationships described throughout the story. There's particularly a lot going on in this chapter, chapter 14. And one of the most complex chapters of Scripture, there's like kind of, if you look at it different ways, you've got like multiple levels of story kind of culminating in one uh, conclusion of it. And so this is actually a pretty beautiful weaving of some things happening all at once, a couple plots kind of mixing together. Uh, but I want us to take note of the relationships that are happening throughout Samson's life and the people and, uh, and whom Samson is connected to. And first, I want to say, let's consider Samson's relationship with the Lord. Okay? Samson has a relationship with the Lord. Okay? He was committed to the Lord at his birth. He was uh, moved by the Spirit of the Lord in his upbringing. Okay? And throughout, we see the Spirit of the Lord rush upon him over and over again in his uh, conflicts that he's engaging in, okay? Um, we see him crying out to the Lord in desperation when he needs the Lord's help. Uh, we see him repenting even before the Lord when he actually does wrong, okay? So we see a dynamic relationship happening between Samson and the Lord, and the Lord is actually using some of Samson's desires in his life to bring about his own will, which is pretty cool in itself. So there's a relationship Samson has with the Lord, there's a relationship that Samson has with his parents. Anybody have parents? How simple is your relationship with your parents? So simple, right? Just 
So simple. There's no complexity, no drama, no baggage, you know, no unmet expectations, no overmet expectations, none of that, right? None of that. Is, I'm sure none of you have experienced any, you know, emotional baggage or, or uh, frustration with your relationship with your parents, right? Yeah, we're, yeah. Okay. So Samson has a relationship with his parents. A very particularly, like, religious relationship, right? I mean, God spoke to Manoah and his wife and said, your son is set apart. Keep him as a Nazarite. And they were listening for the Lord. Okay, so I think Manoah and his wife really do desire the Lord's will, but can't you see kind of like what could happen if uh, you've got a couple overzealous parents who are trying to raise this set-apart child to do the will of the Lord? There might be maybe some overbearing, controlling tendencies. Anyway, just throwing that out there. Okay. There's a relationship with the parents. Uh, there's, there's Samson's relationship with the Timnaite woman, the woman from Timnah and her family. Okay, So is this a good relationship? Is this a bad one? We'll have to look at that. Uh, finally, his relationship with, well, not finally, uh, his relationship with the Philistines. Okay, The Philistines have come and are oppressing Israel. They're the biggest oppressor of Israel in the entire book of Judges. Forty years of oppression, Israel stood under them. Okay. So there's Samson's relationship with the Philistines as it relates to what they're doing unto the people of Israel. And finally, and this one it will come later in a later chapter, uh, Samson's relationship with the rest of the, the, the people of Israel, particularly with the tribe of Judah, who he, intera- who he interacts with later. And so we have all these relationships we've got to consider and how Samson is going in and out of these relationships. So I just encourage you to take note of kind of the storylines that are coming through as we walk through uh, these passages in the next few weeks. Um, In relationship to to the first one, you know, going back to Samson's relationship with the Lord, one of these things that I've pointed out throughout Judges is that Samson is one of the four judges mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 in the Hall of Faith, okay? And that's, there's nowhere else that he's mentioned, actually. In the whole Bible, he's mentioned in, in uh, Judges chapter 13 to 16, and then in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. So there's actually no judgment cast on Samson for doing evil or doing wrong of any kind, actually. There's there's only an admonition that he had faith in God and that he was one to uh, be be placed in this Hall of Faith along with Jephthah and Barak and and, uh, Gideon, right? Crazy. Gideon in the Hall of Faith. So um, we have to consider this in his relationship with the Lord. All right, so we're going to jump in, and I'm going to go kind of section by section and try and walk through um, the storylines that are happening in chapter 14. And what's being described here is, just as an overarching thing, is Samson's courting of a wife. That's, that's pretty much the whole, the whole of chapter 14, is Samson courting a wife that he believes is right in his own eyes. So, Judges chapter 14, verses 1 to 4, starts this way. <coughs> Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get, uh, now get her for me as a wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord 
for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. So we see Samson go to Timnah and take notice of a woman there in Timnah, right? And, you know, it's very easy for us to read all these passages, and especially in this passage, and I've, I've said it before in other passages, but it's very easy for us to read just verse by verse and think that, oh, between verse 1 and verse 2, that's like an hour past, you know, like a, maybe a day past at the most. But we really have no great indicator of how much time this span of events is lasting, except for the seven days of the, of the celebration of his marriage later on. But like all the days leading up to uh, them coming together to uh, become wed, right, and whether they were wed or not, question mark, um, all these days that are here, it's not like uh, one event after another, just day by day. So, you know, think about how, you know, you met your spouse. Did you uh, just go see her in Timna and, and say, I want that one, and then went back? I don't think that's what's trying to be, get, I don't think that's what we're trying to get across here. I think, I think a normal relationship is actually trying to be shown here. Like, like uh, Samson went down to Timna, and at Timna he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Not like he saw and he just wanted out of just lust. He just wanted her, and so he went back and said, Dad, go get that woman for me. I don't think that's how it went down. I think he went to Timna and spent time there, and he had an interaction, had relationship, had maybe a conversation with this woman and, and found her in some way attractive, maybe physically, maybe mentally, like, whatever, like emotionally, relationally. She, he was like, hey, I like this woman. I think she's right for me. Okay? Most of the time, this passage is interpreted, she is right in my own eyes, as she's hot. That's it. That, that Samson just sees this beautiful woman and thinks she's just attractive, and so he runs back and gets his dad to come get her as a wife because she's just attractive. That's not really the connotation of, of the, of the uh, verse. It says, he is right in his eyes. It doesn't mean that he just thinks, oh, she's beautiful, and that's it. In fact, we know this, that later on in chapter 15, when he comes back and his bride he wanted has been given away to somebody else, the father of that bride says, well, why don't you take her younger sister who is more beautiful? I mean, if it's just about looks, then he should have said yes. But it wasn't just about that. It was about more than that for Samson. And so then we have to weigh the question of his parents. The, his parents say, verse 3, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines. Now, what is the parent's concern, right? The parent's concern is that Samson, in some way, if he has relationship with the Philistines, will be breaking his Nazarite vow, okay? And so you have to weigh the question, and I mean, my interpretation is that the Philistines are not excluded as a people that they could marry with, okay? You can go look back at the passages. Uh, if you like, I don't have them pulled up because I did a terrible job preparing today. So, sorry. But they're there. You'll have to trust me. Um, that in, in Exodus and Numbers, when we're talking about the people who the Israelites are not to intermarry with, only the Canaanites and the Canaanite tribes are excluded from being able to marry. And why is that? Because God had already cast his judgment on the Canaanites, the people who lived in the land, and said, you're going to go and you're going to remove them from their territory, these Canaanites and all these tribes under them. 
those are the ones they couldn't marry because they were supposed to be wiped off the face of the earth in the judgment of God, as fun as that is, um, right? And so were the Philistines part of that group? The Philistines are actually a group of people who came to the land of Israel from the sea and landed on the Mediterranean coast and took over land during the time of the conquest, not prior to. They hadn't been there for a long time. They were new to the territory. So they weren't excluded in the initial. And so then you have to say, well, does God allow the Israelites to marry outside of their tribes? Yeah, he does. Yeah. Uh, Moses is a great example of that. He marries a Cushite woman after his uh, first wife passes away. Okay, And we know that Rahab becomes a follower of the people of Israel. Did, did her family just not intermarry with the people of Israel? I don't think so. There was a mixed multitude that came up from Egypt out of captivity that said, I want the Lord to be my God. Were they excluded from interacting with the tribes of Israel? No, they weren't. They were grafted into the tribe of Judah. And so to say that Samson, well, if he marries a Philistine, is going to break his Nazarite vow, I don't think so. Okay, so that's the parent's concern. We want you to be holy. We want you to marry one of our people. And so a deeper question then is, why can Samson not find a suitable mate among his people? And I think you probably, heard, probably know my argument already, right? The people of Israel are so lost right now that there isn't a suitable mate, right? I mean, remember the beginning of this story about the Philistines. The Philistines are ruling for 40 years, and the people of Israel are not even crying out. Okay? The trajectory of their spiritual health is going down. And even after Samson, it actually gets worse. <laughs> like... You thought it couldn't, and it actually does get worse than this, okay? And so I would say that Samson's looking around at his clan, and he's supposed to be looking around at the tribe of Dan itself, which is potentially not even present. They've moved to the north. And he's saying, well, there's no woman that seems righteous at all. In fact, this Philistine woman seems more right in my eyes. I mean, let's consider if Samson is truly been faithful to his vow all these years and then goes to Temna, who is in the right leading of the Spirit to decide, right? To make a good, clear decision about who is right in his eyes? Maybe Samson. Just saying, right? Okay. So Samson sees this woman and says, she's right in my eyes. The parents object because we know why, right? They've got some, whatever, some... Uh, prejudices or whatever it is, or say, no, you gotta, you gotta marry within our clans. You'll be unholy. That'll break things. And his father and mother don't know that this desire that God has placed in the Philistine, in Samson's heart to marry this Philistine woman is from the Lord. The Lord's okay with this. He's going to use this, actually. He's like, yeah, it's not prohibited. And actually, I'm seeking a way against the Philistines. And so this will work perfectly. So the Lord see, uh, the, his father and mother do not know, they do not realize that this, even this relationship that the Lord has brought up is from, the, is from him. He's seeking opportunity against the Philistines. All right, so, so far, I'm going to say he's not broken his Nazarite vow. All right, verses 5 to 7. <clears throat> so then Samson went down to, uh, with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. So they're in Timnah. They've made it, right? That's their, they've made it to Timnah. They're in the, apparently the vineyards of Timnah. And there in the vineyards of Timnah, a young lion 
came toward him roaring. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. Right? So in Timnah, okay, that's where the woman lives, you know, just side note, I think there's a reason why it's the vineyards of Timnah. Maybe people are going to catch wind of somebody killing a lion. Maybe he's, uh, you know, might be telling his, uh, some people about that, or, or maybe, you know, this is, uh, this is part of the story. They came to the vineyards of Timnah, and, and he tears apart this lion. And a key component of this is that he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. And so the, the historical assumption has been the reason he didn't tell his father and mother what he had done is because he didn't want them to know that he had become unclean. Okay? That's the historical, that's, well, that is not even a historical. That, that is an interpretation, a popular interpretation, I should say. That he didn't want them to know he became unclean by killing a lion. And what we'll actually see is that there's a reason later that that point is set apart throughout the story. Okay, so just set aside the fact, don't count it against him that he killed something, okay? Actually, that's not something that makes him unclean. He's attacked by a lion, okay? He can kill a lion. When we're talking about dead bodies, actually, in the Nazarite vow, we're talking about human bodies. And so what do we do in that case? And, and is it okay for a Nazarite to kill a human and be in, in part of that process? Well, kind of, yeah. That one's a tough one for me because you just kill, like, kill a lot of people. Um, and so like, how does he deal with those dead bodies in a Nazarite vow? There's actually like a process to reestablish your Nazarite vow. Okay? Like, you're not, if you break your vow during a short vow, uh, what you're supposed to do is actually shave your head again, Okay, wait another seven days, and then recommit to your vow for however long your vow was to be. So even when Samson does mess up his vow, there actually is a process for him to walk through to reestablish himself in his vow. So it's not like, you know, oh, he sinned, and now he's forever separated from being able to walk in the Sinatra vow. Actually, not. So, okay, so that aside, it's possible that you know, that's, that's a thing. Also, in times of war, there are different rules. I don't know if you, you know, like it's, it's a little bit different uh, when you're going to be attacked by something as opposed to going out to kill something. Uh, and so when your life is in danger, there's some different things that happen. And so, um, so this lion roars at him, charges at him, and he defends himself and kills the lion. Um, I would say there may be a number of reasons why that doesn't actually make him unclean. Okay. Um... Either way, he kills this lion, uh, and he does, not tell, um, he does not tell his parents that he's done this. Uh, and then, after he did that, he went down and talked with the woman, uh, and, and she was still right in his eyes. He went and had a conversation with her. Okay? He went and talked to her. What he did was talk to her. Okay? Just like, set that aside, because one of the things we think about Samson all the time is that he's a womanizer, and that he's only con you know, concerned about one thing. Okay? And actually, what is written in the text is that he went and talked to her. That's what he did. He went and had a conversation with the Timnite woman. All right. Uh, and she was right in his eyes. Um, I don't know about you, but I was thinking about this, and this may be like a side note to it, but um, any guys ever been nervous to go talk to a woman that you were attracted to? Any, anybody ever 
had a hard time in that whole pursuit time period of, of getting to know someone, right? Like, anyone ever had that feeling of flutters? Like, I don't know, I'm nervous. Is she, she going to answer the phone? I'm not sure if she's going to answer the phone. What do I say if she does answer the phone? Oh, no, I don't want her to answer the phone because, right, you know this feeling. But listen, uh, I just think it's funny, right? Like, if the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him and he kills a lion, you might feel a little bit more confident about, like, going and talk to the woman, right? Okay, anyway, I just, think it's, I just think it's funny. I don't know if that has a tie-in at all, but, but I do think it's pretty funny that you, you kill this lion, you're like, yes, I could go talk to her, okay, I think I can do it. It's like, that's how much it takes. You know, that's how much confidence build-up it takes to, to go and have that, okay, conversation. All right. <clears throat> uh, okay, so verses 8 and 9. After some days, he returned to take her. Okay, again, after some days. We have no idea how many days. There's no definition of the number of some days. It could be months, you know, it could be weeks, uh, it could be just days as opposed to weeks. But the time, the time span is undefined. However, we have some clues, right? Uh, because it says, after some days he returned to take her, uh, presumably to be his wife, um, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there's a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. Okay, so the amount of time that it's been has been long enough for the carcass of the lion to decay and then for bees to set up shop inside the lion and then for those bees to produce honey. Okay, so I don't know how much, I didn't, sorry, again, I told you, I, I told you I shirked my responsibilities on sermon prep this morning. Okay, I don't know how long it takes a lion's body to decay. I think it's a while, more than a week, <laughs> maybe more than a month, I don't know. Um, and I, I think it takes some time for a, a bee to establish a, a hive and also produce honey. So anyway, this isn't just, and the next thing that happened immediately after this statement was he found honey in the carcass of a lion. That's not what happened. And unfortunately, that's kind of how it's portrayed a lot of times. Well, here Samson came up to that lion that he just killed yesterday. It's got to be nasty and gross. And he stuck his hand inside this rotting carcass and, and took honey. He must have broken his Nazarite vow. I don't think so. <laughs> I think it's been a long, long time, long enough for honey to be born inside of a, a rotted, finished carcass of, uh, of a lion. <clears throat> so he scrapes it out with his hand and went and ate it as he went. There's no, okay, there's no judgment recorded here for what he did. The Lord didn't say, and there he broke his vow and had no power anymore, right? Did it say that? I didn't hear it, okay. It just says he took some and, and ate it. And when he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them without any conscious like, concern about giving them the honey, right? Just gives them, and they ate it. But he did not tell them that he had scraped, scraped the honey from the carcass of a lion. He kept that piece back. Why? Probably because he's concerned they're going to freak out because it's whatever, on the border of unclean, Right? And also for another reason that we're going to talk about later. Okay. <clears throat> he didn't tell them that it scraped out the honey from the carcass of the lion. So there's two potential reasons he's not telling them, right? One is that, again, they're, they're overly concerned about his set-apartness. He's like, I think I'm good here. I'm going to go ahead and take this. But I'm not going to tell my parents because they're going to freak out, right? And you ever not told their parents something because you think they're going to freak out? Okay, you're all guilty. Great. Um, so... So, he doesn't tell them. But there's another reason, again, later, 
uh, about why he doesn't tell them and how this is used in the story itself. Okay. <clears throat> after some days, he comes to take uh, take his wife, and um, and then after they're you know enjoying this honey, and he's probably remembering. Oh yeah, I killed that lion. That's pretty cool. Um, verses ten to eleven. <clears throat> his father went down to the woman, meaning like his father has been a part of this approval process. He's walking with him in uh, pursuing this woman as his, a wife for his son. Okay, this is a family event. They're going to do this all together. There's an arrangement being made. This isn't just like he's sneaking in to get her and like popping out. Like this is a, they're engaging in a covenant with this, with this family. They've, they've agreed, all of them, to go do this, right? <clears throat> his father went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there, for so young men used to do. Okay, so what's going to follow is that there's a feast that is normative to the day, okay? And, and Samson and his family are preparing this feast, and it's a seven-day feast they're going to have with his family. In verse 11, as soon as the people, that is the people of Temnah, saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. And don't think about nice companions, okay? It's actually like guards. Okay? These are people that, uh, that are against him. Okay, they're, they're on, the, on the Philistine side looking Israelite coming to marry their, a, a daughter of theirs and looking at him with just as much concern as his parents are looking at, at her with, right? And so they bring 30 companions, not to like chum it up with him, but to guard him and to make sure nothing happens. <clears throat> so these 30 companions come to guard him. Again, and, and one of the companions ends up getting his wife later. So again, these companions are not like friends. He didn't know them. Okay? As soon as they saw him, they gathered the companions and brought them to Samson. They brought the companions, the guards, to be around Samson during this wedding. <clears throat> and so, with these guards around him, he says, let's make a wager. I, mean, I don't know if that came from the Lord, or if that's from Samson, but it's definitely used in the story pretty heavily here. It says this, <clears throat> And Samson said to them, verse 12, Let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast, and find it out, then I will give you thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothes. Seems like, what do you think about that wager? Clothes. The wager for you settling this bet is clothing. Everyone ready to? What? It's a commodity. commodity, right. It's not just clothes, actually. Uh, the garments and the linens are more like your wallet, okay? This is like your inheritance. This is like who you are. This is to, uh, like, you know, like I carry, I don't have a wallet. It's in, my, it's in my backpack, but I carry a wallet with me, right? And probably many of you have a wallet or a clutch in your purse or whatever it is, right? It's more like that. Okay? This garment that you have is an indication of your status and your wealth and your property. It's not just your old white t-shirt, right? It's not, it's not that, okay? It's not just that, okay? This is to represent who you are. And so the wager is, I will wager you 30 men's value. Not just 30 men's changes of clothes. 30 men's value. I will wager 30 men's value for this riddle. Right? That's why this bet is enticing. If we're just over clothes, like, who cares? Like, whatever, right? 
This isn't about that. This is about their value. He says, listen, I'll put 30 men's wages on the table. 30 men's value, put on the table. If you can solve this riddle in seven days, here you go. And they're like, gotcha, no problem. We're at a feast, there's gonna be drinking and carousing and partying, and there's no way we can't get this out of you. We'll take your bet. Except that Samson's a Nazarite, and so he doesn't drink. So anyway, they don't know that. Verse 13, but if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linens and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, put your riddle that we may hear it. And here's the riddle, verse 14. And he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days, they could not solve the riddle. Up to three days right there. And so we obviously know, right? We know now what that's about as the, like reading the narration of this. We know that he's talking about the lion that he killed, that honey came out of the lion that he killed. That's, that's the answer to the riddle, right? He killed a lion, this eater, and something to eat came out of the eater. And that something to eat was the honey, something sweet. These lines are coming together. And Samson has said, okay, let's, let's put you guys to the test. And they say, for sure. Yeah, we can definitely get this riddle out of you. No problem. I'll take your bet. 30 changes of clothes, 30 wallets, 30, va the value of 30 men. Let's do it. So three days go, in, go through, and they have no idea. They can't get him to budge. They can't get him to say anything. They can't party enough to encourage him to say it. Like, he's the only one that knows the answer to this riddle. <clears throat> he hasn't told his parents, right? Not even his parents know the riddle. They probably asked. On the fourth day, verse 15, they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. <laughs> Have you invited us here to impoverish us? Right? Okay, so th this verse speaks to, one, the gravity of the bet, right? They're saying, listen, if we don't figure out this riddle, we owe Samson the value of 30 men. You're going to impoverish us. You've invited us to this, this wedding. Actually, the people grabbed the companions to guard Samson, so that's actually a lie, right? <laughs> like, they came as soon as they saw this marriage happening. They came to the wedding and said, hey, here's some guards for you. And so when they are realizing that they're not making any headway, they say, entice your husband to tell us this riddle because... Uh, we don't have the value of 30 men to give except for our own value, and we don't really want to give that, so if you don't get him to say it, we're going to burn your house down. Dang. So, Samson's fiance, okay, uh, is saying, okay, my house and my family are going to be burned to death. I, I just met this guy, I don't know, like, I think, I think I'm going to try and save my family. She makes a decision, right? And she weeps over this, and, and for, for these whole days she cries out, you only hate me, you do not love me, you've put a riddle to my people, and you have not told me what it is. <clears throat> and he said to her, behold, I have not told my father nor my mother, shall I tell you? Immediately, like, Trust is on the table in marriage, and, and they're saying, okay, what, what are we doing with this? This, is, this came at us fast. 
verse 17, she wept before him the seven days that the feast lasted, and on the seventh day he told her, because she pressed him hard. <clears throat> then she told her people. Immediately. He tells her, and immediately she goes and tells her people. And so verse 18, <clears throat> the men of the city said to him, on the seventh day before the sun went down, just at the, like the 11th hour there, right? What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? I guess it's Jeopardy, because we're answering in a formal question here. <clears throat> um, and he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Guys, don't compare your wife or your fiance or your girlfriend or any woman to a cow. Okay, it doesn't read good in Hebrew. It still doesn't read good in English. Okay, so that idea on that part. But what he's trying to say is, you encouraged my wife to tell you the answer. You threatened her, right? You got her to tell. You got her to do this. It, it is on your hands. You're the ones that did this. I count you to blame, right? You're the one that took someone vulnerable and challenged them to reveal this. <clears throat> <clears throat> and if you had not done this, <clears throat> you would not have found out my riddle. He knows they wouldn't have found it out, because no one knows. This is like the most weird occurrence, right? That he would kill a lion, and that after months, he'd come back by that lion, and there's honey in it, right? Only he, only he knows this. That it was him that killed it, and that, it, that honey comes from the same very lion. <clears throat> And so, in verse 19, we see Samson's response. Verse 19, And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Remember that this whole event is an opportunity that the Lord is seeing to take against the Philistines, the Philistines that have ruled over Israel for 40 years. The whole culmination of these events is the Lord saying, Okay, I see this desire that is in my, my son Samson's heart for this woman, and I see an opportunity here either, right, for union with this people group and for them to see the Lord Almighty as the Holy Lord Almighty, or for them to reject. There's an opportunity here for them to either covenant together and come together or not. And what happens is the Philistines, again, threaten to burn down the, the house of their own, one of their own, and uh, trick and lie to Samson, this man. And so the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave their garments to those who had told the riddle. And in a hot anger, he went back to his father's house. <clears throat> the Spirit of the Lord rushes on him at Timnah, and he goes down to Ashkelon. Ashkelon is still a city in Israel today, okay? Uh, and it's on the coast. It's likely uh, a place where the Philistines would have landed when they came to uh, Israel, and so you would consider it a stronghold. Okay, this is where they first established themselves like, along the coast, and so it's actually in the heart of where the Philistines are gaining territory, and so the Spirit of the Lord rushes on him and doesn't go to some people in Timnah, doesn't go against the companions that are around him, but rather goes to the heart of the Philistines' strength. Right? The Spirit of the Lord takes them to the heart of their strength. And there he kills 30 of these men and bring their garments and their value back and says, here, here's your 30. 
No doubt, <clears throat> the companions or guards realize immediately that Samson has killed 30 of their own people in the strongest city that they have and brought back them. And, and now this 30 people, of their own people, their blood is on their own hands, really. <clears throat> and so Samson leaves. Um, finally, verse 20. And Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. Again, best man. Considered his, his, his highest guard, right? It's like, is more, more the connotation. <clears throat> All right, so what a wedding, right? Like, what a fun wedding. Anyone, anyone signing up for that wedding plan? It's like, a <laughs> can I get the Samson Temnaite woman uh, package? That's the one that I want to see some fighting, some wars, some wagers. You know, let's, let's do that one. Anyone been to a wedding like that? Maybe you have. I don't know. <laughs> it could be pretty dicey, I guess. Um, <clears throat> My contention in this is that I, I don't think Samson has broken his vow. I, 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 honestly, I honestly think that he's the one that is still right in this. And the Lord is using him. Is he perfect? No, he's not perfect. You know, should he have you know, maybe uh, regarded her in a different way or been, been more aware in his desires? You know, maybe, maybe not, whatever you can say. But the Lord saw it as an opportunity to, to have a hand against the Philistines and took that hand. And so um, when we think about Samson... Um, you know, one of the ways that, you know, one of the things that I want to go away with here in, in this passage, and it's kind of general to the rest of the judges, too, is that a lot of times we look at the judges as um, <clears throat> these rough-edged folks um, that, like, they don't have it all together, and so in some way we kind of, like, commiserate with them because we're like, see, like, God uses uh, these fallen, broken vessels, and he uses them in, in spite of themselves. And look how rough Samson was, and God still used him, you know? Look how doubting Gideon was, and, and God still used him. And, and look at Jephthah and how, what, what, what the story was that, you know? And God still used them. And so, and, and sometimes, unfortunately, and I don't know if we intended or not, but like we look at this group of people and say, well, if God can use them, then, then God can use me. And you know, I don't really need to worry too much about my holiness because, like, God uses whatever, you know what I mean? Like, he uses everything. You ever counted on grace that much? Instead of pressing into holiness? Listen, I'm not, I'm not here to say, man, like, you know, we got to get it together and you can't have any sin, never, never you know, never uh, make a mistake or all that kind of thing, but I think we need to be careful that we don't just minimize sin because God uses people in spite of it and all kind of washes out in the end, right? Like, and unfortunately, sometimes we do that. We're like, oh, it's okay because, like, there's grace. Like, it's all right. I know I messed up today, but, like, there's grace, so no big deal, you know? And, like, God used Samson, right? And what a brute he was. And so I want to challenge us to, man, let's not look at these Old Testament stories and be like, Oh, see, y'all, we're just, we're just rough. You know, God uses all, all of us, and we're, we're just broken. He uses us anyways, so it, I don't need to try, because, like, he's going to use me anyways. I mean, he's God. He knows everything anyways, so, like, anything I do, like, it doesn't matter. It's kind of, like, in his fate. Like, I'm telling you, it's kind of a challenging spot to put yourself in, 
to be thinking that way. And I want you to challenge your own heart to go, man, if there's any like thinking in my heart that's like, well, God's just going to work it out on my behalf later, as opposed to a quickening and understanding that, like, man, what God has done through Christ Jesus on the cross is something I, that should compel me to follow him every single day of my life, right? Like, yeah, God uses broken and messed up people, and yeah, Samson's a broken, messed up person. So is Jephthah, and so is Gideon, and so are all these people. So is Abraham, so is Isaac. They're all broken and sinful people, right? And so are we. And so I'm not saying that you just got to be perfect all the time and like have to beat yourself over the head with the law or whatever in that, that regard, okay? Don't hear that. But man, sometimes we just like minimize the pursuit of holiness because we're like, God, I'll figure it out. He's bigger, me and it's just really hard to like not sin and you know it's just everything's really tough and I don't want to try because it's hard and anyway God will work it out you know anyone ever been there I mean I hope that I'm not speaking to anyone that hadn't had that experience man I've, I've definitely been there where I banked on the Lord's grace so much that I didn't care about doing what was right And I just say, man, like, if we're in that spot, like, we might have missed what God's trying to do in us. He wants to do something powerful in us. He wants to work through us in our everyday. And yeah, sometimes it looks monotonous, right? Like, I don't know how many days went from when he killed a lion to when it was a carcass, but like, he's probably thinking, man, when am I going to get back to go marry that Tim Knight woman? It's probably the only thing in his focus, right? And we don't know how long it was, months maybe. And what was he doing in that time? I don't know, Right? But at least as far as I read it, I, I think he was keeping up his vow to the Lord. There's only one time that the Lord doesn't show up for Samson. There's only one time. And that's when he does break his vow. Every other time Samson's in a pinch, the Lord shows up in great power. So just challenge you, man, if, if we're banking on grace to be a, a cop-out for not pursuing what is righteous and holy, man, let's not do that to what the Lord has done for us. Like, Jesus came to earth and died on a cross for us, took away our sin. Man, we don't deserve that at all. And so I want to walk in that righteousness. I want to walk in that identity. The other beautiful thing about this story is, again, to step back, okay, so that's hard. I, I, I get it, okay? It's convicting. It's convicting to me to even say it, okay? Um, but step back from the story, too, and go, here is a people of Israel who isn't even crying out to the Lord at all. They're under oppression of the Philistines for 40 years, not even asking for God's help. And what does God do for them? He still shows up. He still comes to their aid and to their rescue. And so, yeah, I'm sorry. We have to hold in tension to very beautiful and difficult things. That God's grace for you is completely unlimited. Okay? Yeah, if you sin tomorrow, there is paid on the cross. Okay? That is true. Take it to the bank. That is true. God has paid for all your sin. 
Past, present, future, he's paid the bill. He's paid it all. There's a song about that, I think. Um, he's paid it, okay? And so, man, receive that truth that in spite of even if you're trying or not, man, he's paid it. He went. It's finished. It's done. Praise God. But let's not be those people that go like, okay, I've cashed in my ticket to eternity, and I'm, now I'm just going to do whatever I want because it'll all wash out in the end, Right? No, let's be people to go, man, Jesus died on a cross for me. I want to give up my whole life for my wife, for my kids, for my church, for my friends, for those that don't know this great gospel of God. I want to give all my energy toward that. Are you going to be perfect? No. Are you going to run out of steam? Yes. Are you going to get tired and sick of doing it? Sure, you might. But man, day after day, wake up and ask the Lord, Lord, how can I make this day about you despite the circumstances, despite how how encouraged or discouraged I am? I want one move every day to be, Lord, what are we doing? So yeah, there's grace, and there's also this call to walk in holiness, and we've we got to walk in this tension, and it's not yet resolved, and there's time in our life we've got to walk through these things. And yeah, it's hard to reconcile them, but I challenge you, it is worth it, because the more you grow in holiness, the more you actually see the depth of the darkness of your sin. You're like, man, it's actually darker than I thought it was in there, you know? You get rid of some of the surface stuff, and then you realize that the surface stuff was, was generated by some internal stuff, and then that stuff was actually generated by, like, some past relationship with your friend or your, your parents or whatever it was. And you see, man, God's paid for all this brokenness. And so I just challenge you, man, to walk on this journey. The Lord wants to reveal you, reveal to you every day more and more just how good he is to you. And finally this, in contrast to Samson as believers, right, the Spirit of the Lord came and went in the Old Testament, okay? He was on people and then he was off people, okay? While, while Samson was in his vow, the Spirit of the Lord was on him. While he was out of his vow, the Spirit of the Lord was off, the Spirit of the Lord was off of him. But Jesus died on a cross for you, and his blood has covered the penalty for all your sin, And now when God, despite my lack of comprehension of this, when God looks at you, he sees Christ instead of you. He sees Christ's righteousness on you every day. And I know that's hard to hear because we look at ourselves and we're like, there's no way, I'm too broken. No. God sees, if you're a follower of Christ, God sees Jesus' righteousness on you every single day. And when he ascended, he he sent Holy Spirit to be with you every day. Good days, bad days. Bad circumstances, encouraged, discouraged, whatever it is, the Spirit of the Lord is on you, okay? Um, I always laugh when, uh, when, uh, you know, in in worship, sometimes a call to worship, someone will say, ah, there's two or more gathered here, so the Spirit of the Lord is among us. Like, (sighs) he's always with you. Like, it doesn't take another believer to be in your presence for the Spirit of the Lord to be with you. He's actually with you if you're in a prison alone. 
He's with you as, in as much fullness. And so just careful with, your, with our thinking about that. Man, when I pray to the Lord, the Holy Spirit is no less with me because I'm alone than he is when I'm in corporate setting. The cool thing about in a corporate setting is that like, man, we all are attesting. We are testifying to the fact the Holy Spirit is here, right? Amen. Praise God for that. He didn't come and go based on how good we've been today, okay? He is here because of the blood of Christ. So I'm encouraged by Samson. I hope you like my interpretation. Uh, I didn't really come up with it, uh, so I've just been persuaded by it, and now I'm telling it to you. You know, Other people have different interpretation. And listen, if God wants to use a violent brood to do, uh, do things in spite of himself, that's a great story also. But I think there's someone here that's been pursuing holiness, and God is using him mightily for the kingdom of God in the midst of a people who won't even cry out to their God in spite of the fact that they know that their God is the one who has saved them over and over and over again. And so I challenge us to be that kind of people who says, Lord, I don't care what culture says around me, Christian culture or otherwise, I'm trusting you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity you give us to gather this morning and to, and to worship your holy name. We thank you for the opportunity to uh, be encouraged by your word and strengthened by it. Um, Lord, even when it's difficult to understand and comprehend, Lord, you, you challenge our hearts. And so, God, I pray that this uh, message has been encouraging and strengthening uh, to my brothers and sisters as it has been to me. I'm so thankful for your faithfulness in spite of your people's lack of faith. And I'm so thankful for um, men and women of faith who walk through Scripture, who show us their stories and go, yeah, he's not perfect, but he had my heart. And so, God, may we be people that are just after your heart day after day. Um, yeah, will we fail? We will, Lord, but we want to be yours every day. We give our whole life to you. Uh, God, I thank you for this opportunity, and I just pray that you would be exalted in the rest of our time and our singing and our taking communion in our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.